Our reading this morning is taken from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. I want to speak today about a prayer that will change your life, a prayer that will change your life. We're looking today at a prayer that I think has the potential to change each and every one of us, our lives, our day-to-day experiences. Uh, It's a prayer that's always relevant, always powerful has the potential to shape your perspective, to put courage into your heart. And it's a prayer that we have seen through the generations has the ability to connect and resonate with people uh, in different cultures, in different nations, in different continents, in different contexts, people who are working in business at a global level, people who are you know, emptying the bins at a very local level, people who have... Uh, quite established educational backgrounds, people who have never been to school. This prayer has the ability to connect and resonate with all different sorts of people. And people have found in it confidence and courage and a framework for living, even at the most difficult and challenging times of their lives. People find it a huge encouragement when they're walking through times of confusion and you're desperately in need of guidance. People, when they're walking through grief, find within its words, like, Strength. People, when uh, they are facing the biggest battles of their lives, often return to these words. And they're words which have like, broken into um, the popular consciousness, whether it's uh, you know, Biggie Smalls, Notorious B.I.G., you'll know that rap song quite well, uh, but also um, any number of other films as well. It's just there. It's just everywhere. It's almost like people would know these words without even knowing where they have come from. And what I find fascinating about Psalm 23 is that although it resonates with some of the deepest desires and fears in our lives, some of the greatest challenges, opportunities, sorrows and joys that we will face, what I find fascinating is that in this prayer there is not one single request. Never ask God to do one single thing. There's not one word of complaint. It's almost like a confident declaration from start to finish about who God is and how God acts in our world. And so it has the potential to remind us who God is and to strengthen us and to help us begin to see, to almost trace God's hand in the day-to-day realities of our lives because we know this is who he is and this is how he acts. And therefore, we can start to look for the evidence of his hand in our lives. The first thing we see in this psalm is that you have a shepherd, and you have a shepherd who provides and protects. I wonder who you think is most responsible for your life. Uh, We got back from holiday um, earlier this week, and just the way I'm wired, just letting into my inner life at this moment, 
just between us, you wouldn't tell anyone, will you? But um, we got back at midnight, and uh, eight o'clock the next morning, I was planning the term. I was up, I was kind of uh, excited, I, my adrenaline was going, I was thinking, right, what's going to look different about my life this year? You know, I started to kind of sketch out what my optimum day might be, when I might have time to you know, work, when I might go to the gym, when I might do this, when I might pray, trying to work out what are the rhythms I want to look differently, you know, how do I want to take control of these sections, what are my five priorities over the coming year, how am I going to do this better, that better, all these kind of things. And for me, wide the way I am, it's very easy to think that I am the main actor in my life. Like, it's my responsibility, I have to make it happen, I'm going to get on it, I'm going to get ahead of the curve. And that's not always a bad thing. I mean, it doesn't generally help in life just to be a sheep and just go, and just kind of wait for God to do stuff. But, but it can go too far. And sometimes I have to remind myself that I'm not even the most important person in my own life by some margin. And I'm not the person who's most responsible for my life. I mean, look at this psalm. Who's the most active in this psalm? Who's taking the initiative? Who's taking the responsibility? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack no thing. So he's responsible for my provision, my purpose, my protection, my peace. What does it say? He makes me lie down in green pastures. So it's God who makes. He leads me beside the waters. So it's God who leads. He guides me in right paths for his name's sake. So it's God who guides. He restores myself. So, oh, it's God who restores. He's with me. Oh, so it's God who's with me. I don't... It's his responsibility to be with me. He comforts me. It's like the shepherd takes responsibility for the sheep. Sometimes I think I'm active, God is passive. And one of my jobs as a Christian, as someone who's trying to follow Jesus, is to encourage God, to wake God, to rouse God, to take an interest in my life and be at work in my life and be at work in this world. But God is the main character in this world and God is the main character in our day-to-day lives. And there are times when we need to remind ourselves of that. Times when we need God to lead us. Times when we need provision. Times when we need help. Times when we need rest. Times when we need him to restore our souls. I still remember when I was working as a lawyer, I had three difficult cases going on simultaneously. And it's like, you know, they're like buses. Suddenly they all come along at once and they all got very difficult at the same time. And it's just like complex trying to manage them. And everywhere I went, I was like thinking about these cases, trying to work out how to solve these cases. What could we do? A lot of pressure, a lot of money involved, people's lives at risk. And I found in that season, it was like my soul was just being squeezed. And the only thing I could do that helped was I would just take 20 minutes in the middle of the day and I'd just go for a quick walk near my office and I'd put in, those days I had an iPod shuffle, which you know, lots of you have never heard of. And um, it was like something that played music and that was all it did. Didn't make calls, you can go on the internet, it just played music, didn't even have a screen. And I'd put in my iPod shuffle, I'd press play and I'd just listen to worship music for 20 minutes as I walked through central London. And in those 20 minutes, I felt God restoring my soul. And I'd come back to the office and sometimes people would say, you're right, you look different. And I felt different, I was different. So your shepherd knows exactly what you need and he knows exactly how to give it to you. And he can restore your soul in a moment. He can restore your soul in a day. He can restore your soul in a prayer. 
And maybe you need your soul restoring. So you say, that's what I need. I need my soul restoring. I've got a lot coming on. I've got a new job. I've got a new promotion. I've got a new business, a, a new opportunity. It's challenging. Even thinking about going back to school, it's like herding cats. What am I going to do? The Lord can restore your soul. And he's not just passive. He's interested in doing it. He wants to do it. And the prayer of this psalm is, I know you're going to. I know you will. I know you are active. But he doesn't just restore our souls. He guides. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. We all need guidance. It's very rare that if you offer, if, if someone is offered great guidance, that they'll say, no, I'm not interested. I don't need any guidance in my life. I've got complete clarity on all my decisions, all my relationships, all my priorities. This year, next year, I'm just completely good. If you could give me guidance, I wouldn't need it. I'm sorted. It's very rare you meet someone like that. Occasionally, you meet like a 21-year-old guy. They're a bit like that. But generally, in life, it's rare you meet someone like that. Because jobs are complex at times. Sometimes we have challenging decisions about colleagues and how we're going to move projects forward. Sometimes we need guidance. If you've got kids, guidance on how to raise children. Sometimes it feels like there's so much information out there. 95 hacks to improve your life. But where's the wisdom? We read wisdom on our relationships. Maybe wisdom on what to look for in a partner. How do I know? What does it look like if this relationship is good? How do I know if these are green flags or red flags or somewhere in between? Guidance on what it might look like to live a life of singleness with integrity. Sometimes we live life forward, but we only really understand it backwards. He guides me in right paths. How can you know the guidance is good? Lots of people offer guidance, but it might not be good guidance. Lots of people who offer you guidance might not actually really have your best interests at heart. So how can you know that the guidance God offers is good? He guides me in right paths. Why? For his name's sake. God is not neutral when it comes to guiding you. He's not uninterested. He's got skin in the game. God guides you for his name's sake, for the honor and respect and reverence of his name. You see, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, God cares about you, obviously, so he wants to guide you well. But he also cares about the honor of his name. And if you're a shepherd and your sheep fall in a ditch or they fall off a cliff, that reflects badly on you as a shepherd. People are like, you're not a very good shepherd. You keep dropping sheep off cliffs. They keep getting stuck down crags and dying. You're like, yeah, I'm a bit rubbish at being a shepherd, actually. So God is interested because he knows that when he's shepherding us, his name is part of the equation. His name's on the table. His name's at risk. In entering into a relationship with you, God puts the very honor, integrity, and value, and worth of his name at risk. And so he's invested in making sure you take good decisions. He's invested in guiding your very steps. Now, you can take it too far. It does not work. You know, if you go out next Saturday night, you like have 10 tequilas, you knock back the shots, flu slammers, you know, you wake up next day, you're like, wow, I made some really bad decisions last night. That was a bad night. And so, you know, dial up God in your morning prayer. You say, God, um, I wonder if we could have a quick call. I've I've got to give you some feedback um, as my shepherd. Um, And you're like, God, last night was a bit tricky. Now, 
I bear some of the responsibility, but you're the main actor in my life. I think there's more you could have done to keep me from that bar, you know? And you know, you could have strengthened my will to say no to the seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth shot. You know, it doesn't quite work. But God, you can know that if you're walking close to God, he is gonna lead and guide you. He's interested in doing it. He's committed to it. He wants to guide you in right paths for his name's sake because he cares about the honor of his name. And I sometimes say to people, if you're looking for guidance at the moment, the best way to find guidance is to walk as closely as possible as you can to God. Because he's gonna take you in the right direction. And then he protects us. He doesn't just provide, he protects. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. And there are times I know in life when it feels like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It feels like you're walking through the darkest valley. Maybe you're facing difficult times. It's confusing. You're experiencing real opposition in an area of your life. It feels like every single step is contested. Maybe you're facing a really serious illness. Maybe it just feels to you like evil is getting the upper hand in your workplace or in your community. Maybe in your personal life or just in our world. Some of the things that are happening at the moment. But the prayer is crystal clear. I will walk through some dark valleys, no doubt about that, but I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. So interesting, he says your rod and your staff. And uh, so you'd have a staff, a shepherd would have a staff, and a staff is very useful, as you know, um, because you can, I think you go like this, you kind of gently guide the sheep like that, you know, just steer them, make sure they don't fall off a cliff. But then if one of them gets stuck in a crag or something like that, you can like hook them around the neck and lift them up. I know we've got one shepherd in our congregation, so that's the, I'm sure that's the professional way of doing that movement. And, um, and that's your staff. So staff's a very useful thing. It's quite comforting to know if I, if I go off the beaten path, I can just be hooked back in. And that's really, but then you also have a rod. And um, the closest modern example of a rod is um, a baseball bat. And, um, and a rod is just there basically um, so you can cause harm to anyone who is about to cause harm to your sheep. That's why you have a rod. That's why a shepherd would have a rod. And the thing is, you know, if you've got wolves out, they're not afraid of the sheep. They prey on the sheep. But wolves are scared of the shepherd. So a sheep on its own is at great risk. But a sheep who is close by shepherd with his rod is not at any risk at all uh, because wolves are afraid of the shepherd and wants to take on anyone who tries to cause the sheep harm. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. My little brother Paul has had difficult times in his life. And uh, he, we grew up in a very rough area, quite a rough area. And uh, for a number of years, for actually all of his 20s, he remained living in that area. And uh, he, um, at one stage, he decided uh, with his uh, wife, Catherine, uh, to buy a dog. So I've got a picture of them here. So uh, you've got um, 
should come up a little picture of, there we are. So that's my uh, Catherine, obviously in the red hat, and then Paul's the one in the middle, and then um, uh, the dog is, that's Reggie, his dog, just down there. And uh, so he bought this dog, Reggie, love this dog. And we happened to visit, um, at, you know, in the area I grew up, visit him at his house, and uh, he was showing us Reggie, and we were chatting, and, and B then was a little bit younger, one of our girls, and some of our other girls were there. And we were in the kitchen, I was in the kitchen with one of my daughters, and by the back door of the kitchen, there was a baseball bat by the back door. And one of my daughters said to him, why have you got a baseball bat by your back door? He said, ah, it's an interesting story. He said, I took Reggie to the shops yesterday, down at the corner shop down the road, and there was this gang of lads, and they were like looking really interested in Reggie, my dog, and, uh, and they asked to buy him. And, um, and I said, nah, I've just got him, he's my dog, I love him, you know, and I ain't gonna sell him. But then I thought, wait a minute, they started to watch where I went and they were following me a bit and I thought, wait a minute, they're probably going to try and get into my back garden and steal my dog Reggie. So he said, I thought I'd buy a baseball bat and so if they jump into the garden and they pick up Reggie, then they've got a difficult choice. They'll have time to get out there and then they can either try and fight me while they're holding Reggie, that's going to be difficult for them, or they can put Reggie down and just fight me one-on-one. He said, that'll be easier, but either way, they ain't getting Reggie. So um, he said, so I'm going to get out there and even if I take a few blows, Reggie's going to stay in the garden, they won't be able to get Reggie. My daughter was like... I mean, we didn't have conversations like that very often in our home at that time. And I was like, oh, don't worry, don't worry. It's absolutely fine for just being silly. Yeah. He says, so don't you think, you know, he said, you know, if you've got a dog, you've got to put yourself a harm way. If someone comes after your dog, you've got to be able to fight them off. I was like, well, yeah, that's one way of um, looking at it. That's complicated. And, um, but in some ways, what my brother Paul was articulating then is exactly what a shepherd in the Middle East, at the time David wrote this prayer, would have experienced. Because a number of dangerous people and animals would attempt to get at your sheep. And you've got a choice. Do you stay and fight? Or do you run away? And the good shepherd stays and fights. Actually, if you were a shepherd in those days and you were out on the hills with your sheep, you wouldn't always take them back into the towns and villages every single night. That would be a waste of time. And you would keep them in pens on the hillsides, in the countryside. And so you would build these pens, which were a collection, kind of piles of stones. And on three sides, you'd have these stone pens. You know, they'd be about this high, so that no one could get in or out, except through the walls. And then you'd have a gap through which the sheep would come in at night and go out again in the morning. But they were were kind of makeshift pens. You wouldn't have like a door. So what did the shepherd do? After all the sheep had come into the pen at night, the shepherd would lie down across the gap in the door. Just a clear message to anyone. Oh, you can, you can come in, but you have to come through me. When Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, when Jesus says, the way is through me, he's talking about that exact image. And a good shepherd would put himself in harm's way, put herself in harm's way for the sheep. A good shepherd would be willing to lay down their life for the sheep. They were lying there, waiting, sleeping. If anything came, they knew they had to go through the shepherd. See, what's comforting about this? So, oh, you, no, you, even though I walked through the valley of shadow of death, you know, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, how did they comfort me? They comfort me because they're going to keep me on the right path, but also because if something bigger and nastier comes my way, they're going to protect me from it. It's not like soft, 
fuzzy like a teddy bear. It's protection from harm. That's what the psalm is talking about. And that's what Jesus, in a very literal way, has done for you. You don't have to fear evil. You don't have to fear darkness. You don't have to fear enemies. Because Jesus has vanquished evil. Jesus has fought it and conquered it on the cross. And therefore, you can have confidence to whatever darkness or evil you might be walking past or walking through at this moment in your life. Jesus is not going to let go of you. He's not going to just surrender you to the dark. Because he's given everything to defang evil, to take its power away. So he's going to take hold of you, and he's going to keep hold of you, and he's going to protect you against anything that might come and try and harm you. You have a shepherd. But the second thing we see in in this passage is that you have a host. And a host invites you. So I'm not getting emotional. I'm just a little bit, you know, it's quite a powerful psalm. You know, you have to kind of, I just have a shepherd. Wow, it's hitting me again for the first time on a Sunday morning in front of everyone. I don't often have this kind of experience. So you have a shepherd, but then you have a host. And a host invites you, and a host honors you. You know, sometimes I think, I don't know if you ever feel this way, I sometimes think, I have to remind myself to include God in my day. I've got my day all mapped out. And then when are the moments I'm going to invite God to be a part of my day? When are the moments I'm going to include him? Oh, you know, when I set my alarm to pray at midday, or you know, when I, when I read the Bible in the morning, or maybe I'll take a moment to listen to a worship song on the way to work. Oh, those are the moments I invite God, almost like set a little place at my table for him, to include him as part of my day. But actually, it's the other way round. God invites you to be part of his day. He's the host. He's making space. We're the invited guest, the honored guest says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What is this about? It's crazy, isn't it? Because one moment you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and the next moment you're being invited to dinner. But it's interesting because one of the key themes throughout Scripture is that God loves, absolutely loves, to rescue. And when he rescues, he doesn't just love to save, he loves to vindicate. And God loves to vindicate in a way that is perfect. He loves to vindicate people. You can be sure you will have enemies in your life. You'll have people who oppose you and attack you. You Don't be super spiritual about it. Not every person who's unhappy with you is an enemy sent by the evil one to make your life difficult. You might just be difficult at times yourself. Uh, But don't be surprised that occasionally enemies will come your way. You will have enemies. Secondly, you will have choices about how you respond to enemies. And obviously we know we're called to respond to enemies with prayer and with love. And then thirdly, you can have confidence that God loves to vindicate. God loves to vindicate. He loves to do it himself. He doesn't need your help. And he loves to do it completely in the most perfect way. The suggestion here is that for you to be blessed, sometimes your enemies have to be present. So if you're surrounded by enemies at this moment in your life, just say to yourself, dinner's on its way. The food is coming. I don't have to fear. 
Uh, he prepares a table for you. Uh, Beth and I were once invited out to a really, really smart restaurant in uh, central London, kind of place we wouldn't be able to afford to go on our own, kind of place we'd never been to before. It was a Friday night, and uh, we kind of turned up a little bit nervous. You know when you feel about 15 years old, and um, you're not sure if you're wearing the right clothes, and you're not sure if you're going to be let in, you're just feeling a little bit socially anxious about going. We turned up at the place, and we walked in. It's very, very smart, very, very fancy, and our friends had invited us, and they messaged us just as we were about to arrive at the restaurant to say, sorry, we're running a bit late. Don't worry, go ahead, get the table, and we'll see you in 10 minutes. We're like, okay. So we, we go there, and there's the person behind the desk, and we said, oh, we're here with this couple, and they said, we don't know anything about that. We said, okay, well, this is our names. Might that help? They said, no, we don't have any record of you. Said, oh, I'm sure there's been a mistake. Is there any way we, is there any way we can uh, just check? They said, you're not, there's no booking. We're fully booked. Every single table is booked for the entire evening with that kind of restaurant. And, and you can't come in. And so we felt like so embarrassed and exposed. And you know what it's like when there's like a scene in a place like that, people start to turn around, like, you know, looking around. Like, and there's just that general sense that people are thinking, they, they might not be thinking it, but you kind of assume people are thinking, who are these guys? Like, these kind of, they probably shouldn't be here anyway. Like, they've got lost. McDonald's is down the road. And, and just, you just feel a little bit socially embarrassed. And then, and then I said, look, it's just a bit cold outside. Is there any way we can wait inside? And the guy looked at me as if, like, I don't want you in my restaurant. And, and I said, well, could, I just, could we just wait for 10 minutes by the bar? So I said, okay, you can wait for 10 minutes by the bar. Anyway, so we're kind of standing by this bar awkwardly. We thought about buying a drink, quite expensive. And, uh, and I'm waiting for a moment. Anyway, we're, like, so awkward just there and everyone just carrying on with their meals. And then our friends arrived, and um, the lady who had invited us, she's one of these people in life, quite a formidable person, and uh, I think she probably went to that restaurant two or three times a week, and uh, she arrived at the door, and they were like, hello, <laughs> and, and she said, I'm here, and again, the person behind the desk said, oh, I can't seem to find a booking. And at that moment, the manager of the entire restaurant came rushing from one side of the restaurant to the other, came up and said, what's the problem? And they said, oh, I don't think we have a booking for this person. He said, we definitely have a booking for her. We always have a table for her. We definitely have a table for her. And she walked in, she says, have you greeted my guests? And the manager went, hi, I'm so happy you're here. Come in, come in. And we were kind of like, okay, and so we walked in, and I was thinking, this isn't going to work, though. I mean, there's no table free in the entire restaurant. There's no way it can work. And the manager did this thing with his hands, which is almost like a Jedi trick. And, um, and waiters came from one corner of the room with a table. And they walked to a small gap in the middle of the table and put this table down. And then the other waiters came with a, a tablecloth and just kind of fanned it over. And then there was cutlery on. And then in, in the middle of nowhere, this table suddenly appeared. And then they said, this way. And we went and sat down. And then I could see everyone was looking, thinking, who are these guys? You know, they've suddenly it's appeared out of nowhere. We're kind of there like... See, the Lord prepares a table for you in the midst of your enemies in small things and in very big things in your life God loves to vindicate you know maybe you faced a real challenge in your workplace maybe you've fallen out with a dear friend maybe there's been a misunderstanding maybe you've been let go from a job unfairly maybe you've been rejected or turned down or criticized God loves to vindicate. God doesn't need your help to vindicate. God does it in the most perfect way. He turns rejects into royalty, turns ridiculed into the revered. 
God was able to use and has been able to use, uses today, met with pastors from China in July, uses today, he's able to turn the persecution of the church into the very catalyst of the growth of the church. He's able to make the very schemes of evil the very defeat of evil. God loves to vindicate. He turned evil against itself on the cross and vanquished it and vindicated his son. He loves to vindicate. If you're going through a difficult time, the Lord prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And then this, and then my cup overflows. What does it mean to have your cup overflow? Well, one of my colleagues who I used to work with uh, as a lawyer um, was made, what was then a QC is now a KC. And what that is, is it's like, it's kind of like the elite of the legal profession. Very few people get invited to do it. It's a massive deal. And when you get made what they call a silk, uh, you're given, uh, you, you generally throw a big party. And he threw this party, and it was starting at 7.30, and there were hundreds of people there, massive party, all the wine flowing. And then I saw what happened. I don't think anyone else realized, but there was no speeches, no announcements. No one said the party had started. No one said the party stopped. But at 9 p.m. on the dot, suddenly, all the waiters disappeared. And all the wine disappeared, and the wine stopped flowing. And within 20 minutes, the entire venue was empty. Everyone had gone home. Because when the wine stops flowing, it's time to leave. When the host stops filling your glass, it's time to go. So what does it mean? You know, my cup overflows. Well, you'll know that when, when you're invited to something and the host fills your glass, that's just polite, that's kind. But when the host keeps filling your glass, it means he wants you to stay. And when your cup overflows, it means he never wants you to leave. It means you're in the presence of a king and he doesn't want you to leave. Sometimes I think God's more important So I've got to be brief, I've got to be brilliant, I've got to be quick, I've got to be gone. But you never have to fear when you're in the presence of God. He's looking at his watch thinking, there's someone better I could be speaking to. Looking over the shoulder to see if there's a better conversation you might be missing. When you're in the presence of the king and your cup overflows, he doesn't want you to leave. Your cup overflows. You never have to worry with God that you're overstaying You're welcome. He wants you to be there. A little bit of wine. (laughs) But then goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord together. It sounds nice, goodness and mercy following you. It's like clouds. You know, clouds gently following me through my life. Goodness and mercy, they're so lovely. The Hebrew word here, highly unusual word to be used in a positive context. The Hebrew word that's used here is normally only used of things like wild animals pursuing their prey. That's what it means. It's the kind of word you say, I'm being chased by wolves and lions through the streets. They're pursuing me. What God is saying is... My goodness and my mercy are going to hunt you down. They're coming after you. They're like heat-seeking missiles, and they've got your name on it. You can't outrun them. You can't hide from them. They're going to, oh, thanks so much, Stephen. It's so kind of you. And um, just a little bit there. And uh, it's all for the sermon. And uh, they're after you. They're coming after you. 
Goodness and mercy will hunt you down all the days of their lives. They'll pursue you. You're going through a difficult time. Just encourage you. Just picture yourself. Next day you're going through a difficult day. You're walking down the road. Look over your left shoulder. Oh, there's goodness. Like a lion chasing me. Not going to be able to run it. Oh, over my right shoulder. Oh, there's mercy hunting me down. They're coming after me. Whatever way I go, whichever direction I take, however fast or slow I move, they're going to get me. God is committed to blessing you and he's not going to let go of you. He's for you. He's not against you. And he wants to show you his goodness and mercy. And I just want to encourage you. It says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's your host, and he's inviting you not just to visit, but to stay. Not just for a day, not just for a year, but for all of this life and for eternity as well. And you can have confidence that he'll take you through death and into eternal life. You can have confidence that he anoints your head, that he crowns you. Because Jesus was crowned with thorns, you can know you are crowned with honor. Because Jesus drank the depths of wrath. You never have to fear it and you can know you drink the depths of blessing. Because Jesus experienced separation from his father, you never have to fear him turning his face away from you. You know you've got his attention and his blessing and his love. And he is your shepherd. I just want to encourage you this week, this month, this year, why don't you make this a prayer that you pray daily? Maybe midday, maybe when you wake up, maybe when you go to bed and just speak words of courage and confidence to your heart and declare again who God is and what he's done. In Jesus' name, amen.